I suppose that every preacher who has ever preached has had one revival sermon on 2 Corinthians 7, 13, 14. I wouldn't know what, how to take a man that going into ministry and hadn't preached on that. They all do. You've heard, I don't know how many, better not try to count them up. But I have a feeling when I announce it that I can see the saints settle down into the pews comfortably as if to say I've heard all this before. We get so familiar with the familiar, which is the most dangerous thing we ever did, that if it doesn't breed you, uh, the worst attitudes toward it, complacency, that uh, it'd be very unusual. Now this passage is just as timely as it ever was in the days of Solomon. And one verse is, it has two iffy verses, I call them. The first one is God's verse. If I shut up heaven, there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, and if I uh, send pestilence among my people, then the people's ears, here's where we come in, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, will heal their land. Isn't it interesting how it oscillates back and forth between God and his people. And this is a very strange passage of scripture because it's out of the life of Solomon. Everybody says that Solomon was the wisest man. That's all they say, but we forget he made the biggest fool out of himself of anybody in the Bible. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Anybody with a harem like that around him is not a wise man in my book. That's what happened. It says so here. I didn't write it. It says in 1 Kings 11 that King Solomon, verse 23, excelled all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And they had so much money that they wouldn't even look at silver. Gold had to be it. Talk about the gold standard. They were really on it. But you drop down to the 11th chapter after telling us all that starts off, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh and all the rest of it. And I'm not surprised that the chapter ends and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried. What else could the poor man do? So I think we need a reassessment of old King Solomon. But he was right in what he prayed for here and God knew that if he stayed with it, he'd be better, but he didn't. He turned the other direction. And it starts with an if, if my people. God begins with his people, and his people begin with themselves. This is a personal old Bible. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I tell you, the man who prayed that wasn't passing the book. It was personal. When David committed his terrible sin, he needed to do something besides grab a harp and start singing psalms. That's not what he did. He got down to business with God. We sometimes put it in a little song. Lord, send a revival. Let it begin in me. Well, that's where it'll have to begin. Where else would it start? You're singing about it. You know to start with you. You know, it doesn't take much religion. You confess other people's sins. 
some of us are pretty good at that. I heard of a woman who went to a psychiatrist. She had a strip of bacon over each ear and a fried egg on top of her head. She said, I've come to see you about my brother. She needed a little help herself. I've heard people pray their way around the world, visit all the mission fields, and I felt like saying, Brother, if I were you, I believe I'd close up on the praying, start back at old number one. be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? My people which are called by my name. Well, you'd say that was Israelites. Yes, but what are you? If you are a Christian, and I wish we never had a pronounced it Christian in Christmas, because that doesn't give the name of Christ enough weight in the pronouncement. Uh, I wish that we'd remember that we are Christians, and I-A-N in it stands for I am nothing. It's Christ who is everything. Romans 7, 4 says we're married to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, we're espoused to one husband. We are uh, born from above. If you're a child of God, something's supposed to happen to you some time ago. Jesus started living inside you. Are you showing any evidences of that? Have you ever been aware of that? Our church members know they've heard a lot about Christ as Savior. They know still less about Christ as Lord, and they know almost nothing about Christ as our life. There never has been such ignorance in all church history as there is today about the indwelling Christ. I am a member of the First Baptist Church in Greensboro, a great church. We had a man there some years ago who was professor of literature in NC uh, College in North Carolina, the University of North Carolina, in Greensboro, just across the street from where I live. One of the buildings is named in his honor. A brilliant man, but not a Christian. And his wife prayed for years and years that he'd get saved. And then one night, all alone by himself, upstairs in his bed, he got saved. Nobody else would ever visit him about his salvation. I'm glad God did. The Holy Spirit paid him a visit, and he got saved. And that encouraging. He joined the church and made him a deacon ultimately. He didn't live so long after that, but we liked to get together because I liked to write. And he, he knew his literature, and I loved to hear him recite it. But his wife was so happy when he came down the steps, although it almost floored her, when he came down the steps next morning and she was getting breakfast. said, I'm going to church with you tonight. And he was the simplest, humblest, sweetest Christian to be as smart as he was, a Harvard graduate and all that sort of thing. But he was like a Matthew 18, three, except to be converted and become his little children. He was a simple Christian, went around speaking everywhere, bragging on Jesus. And of course it carried weight because they knew who he was. And I asked him one time, I said, Doctor, all this time that you were an infidel, did anybody ever say anything to you about Jesus? No. Now that's something to get on our knees about and confess before God. Did they think he was so smart that I wouldn't want to tackle him? I'm afraid he'd drown me with his rhetoric and so on, so I didn't say anything to him. Well, anyway, they didn't. But I thank God that he saves to the outermost and to the uttermost and to the guttermost. No matter what the status is, he saves this man with his education. But he saves the other crowd at the other end of the line, too. I go to Sandy Cove Bible Conference in Delaware, New Jersey, about every other year, one of the greatest conferences in this country on Chesapeake Bay. And I love to go up there. And this last time I was there, a curious specimen met me. <laughs> About second day I was there, weighed over 300 pounds and had a beard. And if you'd have seen us going up and down the street together, you'd have thought about before and after taking it. But he liked me. 
And he liked my preaching. You know what his favorite text was? I'm going to cut it in three divisions, God willing, the next three days. As he is, so are we in this world. That's one of the greatest statements in the Bible. Oh, that's terrific. We're going to divide it up, God willing. And it'll do your soul good. Well, he loved that. When he, when, when he later on had some stationary print, he had printed across every page of it. As he is, so are we in this world. But I didn't know what to think of him. Didn't know for sure whether he was all there. And I'd be walking with him. I thought, now, Lord, I don't want to get stuck here on this deal. How do I know that he's got all uh, the bells ringing in here? Well, I found one good use of him. The crowd was so big at dinner, I had a hard time squeezing in. And I said, now, if you will go in front of me, I'll be glad to follow you into the meal. You talk about the Red Sea dividing before Moses. Man, it just split wide open. Everything. So he was worth that, but I found that he knew Jesus. Because they asked him to come up and lead in prayer. I hadn't got to know him that well. After he prayed, I said, he's all right. He's done that before. And uh, he, he's a, you know, a preacher now. i got a little church up in Pennsylvania. He writes me every couple of weeks. And I answer him back. And that man's the other end of the line, but he's one of the children of God. And that makes a difference. Now, both ends of the line, the only answer is when they get the new name. And whether it's Raymond Taylor at one end of the line, or whether it's this year brother at the other, it doesn't make any difference when it comes to that. Oh, Mike Davis. Ruff, you name it, and he'd done it. Talk about a sinner. His wife had left him. He was vile in his iniquity. And yet, he made such a turn that it was amazing. And uh, I got to where I like to be with him. And I write him an encourager. And he's going to be, I think, an evangelist. And, and because he knows what it's all about. You don't have to tell him. He's been through it. It's a great thing to meet somebody like that. And I think of that dear fellow in the Ozarks some years ago in meetings. And, oh, I love to go to the Ozarks in springtime. I'd like to be there now. And this fellow came to the Lord. He'd been... Oh, he'd been a bum and a crook when he came to the Lord and got saved at 75 years of age. And it was the talk of the town. And it was real. One day he said, I'm out of money. And <laughs> maybe everybody knows I'm not the same man. Maybe they'd help me a little. Went to the bank and the banker had heard about it. The banker said, tell me your story. What happened to you? Everybody knew him, but for the bad until then. And then when he finished, the banker said, well, Put your name on the paper here. We'll let you have some money. But he came home and said, You know, this is the first time in my life that my name's ever been worth anything. You know why? He had a new name. He became a Christian. When you're a Christian and Christ lives within, that makes a difference. There are four things told to do in this uh, verse. Four notes make a chord on an instrument. I don't believe the Lord wants us to just hammer away on one note all the time. You'll never have revival without prayer, but you can have a lot of prayer and never have a revival. This doesn't begin with prayer. It begins with, if my people shall humble themselves. Some people don't get anywhere praying because they're so proud and stuck on themselves and not right with God, and God doesn't hear them anyway. Have you humbled yourself lately to your own embarrassment because of the sinfulness of your own life? Then you're ready to pray. But uh, prayer is the measuring rod of any Christian. You can measure a preacher by that, what he is and when he's on his knees praying. The measure of a church is prayer meeting night. I don't care how big a crowd's on, 
Sunday morning because you know how that is. We had this though this morning. I said this morning growers were blooming this morning. Evidently they were because they're not blossoming now. And uh, but you don't have that many on prime meeting night, not this. Maybe, I don't know. But the reason is, we don't think prayer means much. You don't have to do it. So what? And we don't attain. God have mercy on us. Well, no wonder God doesn't visit us in revival as he wants to. In fact, there were several prayers, prayer meetings in the Bible were a waste of time. I've been in some myself. I read that Moses, uh, Joshua stood before, and Moses, when the Egyptians were coming up behind him, the Red Sea in front of him, and he was praying. It was time to pray, you'd think. Water in front of him, the enemies behind him. God said, Wherefore criest thou unto me? No time for a prayer meeting. Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. There's a time to pray and a time to proceed. When it's time to proceed, things do is quit praying and start proceeding. But some folks never do that because they're still not ready to pray. And Joshua sent his army against Ai, you remember, and they got licked. Joshua said, you won't need but a handful of soldiers. Take that to the town. They came back, and he fell on his face before God so embarrassed. He was, God said, get up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? No time to pray. Israel have sinned, and until they do something about their sins, all the prayer meetings in the world won't do any good. That's what God said there. Uh, you need to get right. Israel has sinned. Well, only one man had sinned, but one bad church member can... Influence a whole church, one rotten apple, spoil a whole barrel of good apples if you give it time, and that happens in the church too. So you've got to begin with whoever's at fault in the sight of God. That's the teaching we get here. I'm so glad that Jesus brought people to conviction. When he talked to the woman at Jacob's well, he talked about where's the best place to worship, and he talked about the water of life. They're good subjects, but she did not get under conviction. He got around to her way of living. Go call your husband. Well, she'd already had too many of them. And when she went home, that turned the tide. And she said later, Come see a man, she said to him, that told me all things that ever I did. Uh, didn't say that. A man told me about the water of life. Where's the best place to worship? That's important. But come see a man told me about my meanness. Is not this to Christ? That's what brings conviction every time. Uh, humble yourselves. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that I know uh, much about praying for humility. You can take care of that. As a little child, Matthew 18, 4, under the mighty hand of God, 1 Peter 5, 6, in the sight of the Lord. We, we brag too much, we Baptists do today. We're the biggest thing out, you know, now, the denomination. And has it ever gone to our heads? And we're so proud of it. You know, we like to boast and brag a lot. I told them out in Los Angeles about that, that uh, Baptist Convention, I was preaching to the preachers. I said, uh, I'm a little uneasy because they had a bad spell of smog out there some time ago and they couldn't move it. One of the weathermen said, only a wind from elsewhere can blow away this smog. And I thought, yes, and we're in the smog too because uh, dogma has become smogma with a lot of it and the only thing that's going to blow this out is the same kind of wind that blew at Pentecost. We need another breeze of that today in this world, but you don't hear much about that, and yet we need nothing else quite so much. But I think, uh, I told him, I said, we got a lot of Baptist preachers here. I, we've got a bad smoke here now, but I believe uh, the way we like to brag, we could blow it out in two days. 
I didn't get many amens on that. If the Bible doesn't say justify yourself, we're pretty good at that. Why I do this and why I don't do that. God says judge yourself. Have you ever judged yourself lately? Don't justify yourself. You can always figure out some excuse for the way you do or don't do. Oh, one of the great evangelists of the past was having a prayer meeting, Mel Trotter, and he called on the folks to pray, and everybody did but one man. Mel said, pray, brother. He said, I can't, Mr. Trotter. What's the matter with you? No, no, you just can't pray. Mel said, confess your sins. Said he can't think of a thing in the world. Mel said, get down there on your knees and guess at it. And he got down on his knees and guessed at it the very first time. Why, you wouldn't have to guess to hit it. He got down to business with God. So, what does it mean if my people will seek my face? Now, you've read that all your life. What does it mean to seek God's face? Well, it means, uh, as the psalmist said, when thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And uh, uh, it's looking unto God that makes his face to shine upon us and he lifts up the light of his countenance upon us and gives us peace. When thou saidst to me, my heart said unto thy face, I, thy face I will see. Now there are some things that hide God's face. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. So that his blessed face is not seen. That song was written by a great black preacher in Philadelphia. His son conducted singing for me in three meetings years ago, Grand Rapids and Toledo and somewhere else in Illinois. But he loved to tell his, sing his daddy's song, Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there, and many of the others. Oh, uh, that man knew God. And what does it mean, though, when we do this? Well, it simply means that we seek God's face and the smile of his approval so that he lifts up the light of his countenance upon us and gives us peace. You've got to get things out of your life that hinder fellowship with God. Some people are not right with God. They don't have fellowship because they're not right with somebody down here. Anybody in here tonight, you, that you're not right with and you won't go to him and get it straight, you said, it wasn't my fault. The Bible said it doesn't matter whose fault it was. Jesus said, don't need to take your offering to church and put it on the plate if you're not right with God. Tend to that first of all before you make your offering. My land, that would ruin a lot of offerings on some Sunday mornings in some churches in this country because we got a lot of folks not right with each other. I asked how often through the home is a, are there husband and wife here tonight you're really not sweet to each other like you used to be. And you know it. And there's, there's a coldness that's crept in. And we run around and say it's nerves and take pills and everything else when if we just get right with God sometimes these things would clear up and uh, forgive people that you ought to forgive and get right with folks you ought to get right. Uh, I heard of a woman who said, I taught a Bible class, Bible class for 10 years before I ever got right with God. And I went down to an old Methodist soldier and knelt and said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go to China, I'll go to Africa, I'll go anywhere. God said, I don't need you in Africa. I want you to get right with Susie right here in the church. She said, I... I, I, she said, I'd rather I got right with Susan than rather have gone to any, and done anything else. I'd rather have gone to China than get right with Susan. But God said, just start with her. Well, she had to to get right with the Lord. I think of a preacher, a um, church member, walked down the aisle some time ago in one of my meetings 
and had enough grace by the power of God to face them and say, I want to confess some of the ungodly things I've said about our former pastors. Well, there are enough nasty things said about former pastors that somebody ought to start confessing some of them. And present pastors, too, sometimes it is. All the money you give to foreign missions won't do any good if you haven't given God yourself. If you're a Christian, you haven't got a bit of land or money or anything else in this world. Do you realize you're a sanctified pauper? You belong to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. You're not your own. You're a boat with a prize. If we just remember that, things would be different by next week this time. But you've got to confess these things and give them up. We can't expect God to take away our sins by forgiving them if we're not willing to put them away by forsaking them. Because the Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Then do any good to confess them and take them up again next day. No Christian gives them up. Uh, people don't like to be told what they ought to do at church. Uh, they don't like it in the home. They don't like it in school. But the Bible says we ought always to pray. We ought to obey God. We ought to forgive. We ought to love one, one another. We ought to support the weak. And when God says that, he's not making suggestions. Those are commandments. And God expects us to obey them. But we don't like commandments from any direction. The kids don't like it from the parents. And the teachers don't like it at school. They're told not to engage in it. And uh, a lot of parents don't anymore. And uh, so all the way around, we don't like to be told. But God tells us. What is your sin that ought to be confessed before God? Is it something that you're doing, you ought to quit, or something that you're not doing, you ought to start doing? When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I see? Is that the way it is? Some things hide his face. You want to look out about that. And I remember that I was in meetings, oh, some years ago, out in one of our western states. And... Uh, a uh, young fellow came down the aisle and took my hand and put a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. Well, that doesn't happen every day in the week. And he said, they don't belong in the life of a Christian, and I'm through with them. I like that way of doing it. I don't preach on tobacco. You think I'd wear out myself, waste time preaching on tobacco. I always tell them, if you've got it lung, just leave it out on the steps, and I'll guarantee you no hog or dog will get it till you go back out after the meeting. But I wouldn't want to preach a whole sermon on it. So, what is it? You quit the thing we're doing. Be not drunk with wine when it is excess. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be just one little thing in your life that's cutting out the blessing. The shelf behind the door. The shelf behind the door. Tear it down and throw it out. Don't use it anymore. For Jesus wants his temple clean from ceiling to the floor. He even wants that little shelf. It's hid behind the door. You can't hide things from God anyhow. We hide the cross today. We, we, it makes us uncomfortable to look at the cross because he told you to carry one. Take up his cross and follow me. How about yours? I get, oh, I get nervous sometimes when I see a congregation of well-fed Americans standing saying, To the old rugged cross I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach. Gladly bear, Lord help us. Well, we don't bear it any kind of way, let alone gladly. We ought to quit singing songs we don't mean. What, what do you know about the reproach of the old rugged cross? In what way are you bearing any of the reproach of the cross? 
The Bible tells us that God has left us a certain amount of suffering that we're supposed to bear in his name. I don't know all that that means. I've often wondered about that verse. But there's a, there's a legacy that's been left to it. I wonder whether we're bearing our part of the cross of Jesus Christ. So I heard a song leader told me some time ago, said we had the kids, you were going to ask them to come up and sing a little song perfect during the service. We told them that we'd have, have to do it, but uh, as the time drew near, each one of them wanted to carry a cross. But uh, we said, no, it's too late to do that. And we took the crosses away and hid them in the Sunday school room. And said, now we want you to sing Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching Against the War, when you get up. Well, the kids didn't like that, taking their crosses away. So they said, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching Against the War, with the cross of Jesus hid behind the door. <laughs> I don't blame them. I felt like that myself sometimes. So, uh, how is it with you tonight, my friend? God says if we get things out of the way, the Lord will visit us in great blessing. I often think that we cannot expect God to take away our sins by forgiving him if we're ready to hang on to him ourselves. Uh, it takes a lot of prayer to keep going with God. I preached with Dr. for Dr. Stanley, been in his church several times, the great first church of Atlanta. There's a man who prayed his way into where he is now. Some folks tried to get him to leave. And he felt like God had told him that, and he stayed and they lay it, thank the Lord. And he spends hours sometimes on his face before God in prayer. No wonder that old church on Peach Tree is really having a revival going on. There's a price to pay for a visit from God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Lo, I am with you all the days. I'd like to ask you tonight, just one thing. I'd like to ask those of you who are officers in this church, because you're presently the main working force of this church, deacons, choir singers, Sunday school teachers, whatever, you hold an office in the church. I'd like to ask you, have you lately paid the price of revival there's a price for it. God's not running a fire sale and bargain counter. They're, they're costly. You have to swallow a lot of pride and do something you don't want to do sometimes. You get right with God and get right with people. It's not easy. Whoever said being a Christian is easy. It's hard. He said it. Within the world you shall have tribulation. And that word means pressure. And all you hear today is people saying, I'm under so much pressure. A part of it's because of that very thing. If you're a Christian, you'll feel it. Don't get the blues. If you are a true Christian trying to serve God, and I'm sure there are many of them here tonight who want to, and you get worried about it, you think, oh, it'll be better than you are. You, the devil's mad at you because you're trying to get somewhere. It's a pretty good sign. Don't, don't stop with that, but thank God that you're giving him enough trouble. The average church member is not giving the devil enough trouble for him even to bother with him. He's already got him. Why should he worry about that? Go in the direction they want. How many of you officers in this church, and God has so much more for this church as he has for any church, how many of you, I'll make it hard as I can, we're not going to sing a song, I never have many songs sung in invitation. Why do you have to sing them down the aisle? 
If we mean business, why can't we just get up and go? Because we love the Lord. So I make it hard, and I figure if they mean it, they'll come anyhow. If they don't, they might as well have stayed back there anyway. How many would we be willing to sit in? I preach your heaven. Your sermon did not go in one ear and out the other tonight. God spoke to me. I need revival myself. I need it perhaps in your home or in wherever you are, whatever you do. And I'm willing to walk down that aisle and say, whatever the price of revival is, whatever my part of it is, I gladly and willingly say, here I am, Lord. I'm willing to pay the price of revival. That won't be easy. You may have to get things straight to somebody. You may have to start doing something you don't want to do and quit doing some things you are doing. I don't know what they are. That's your business and God's. 